Hello and welcome to the World Fellows podcast. My name is Emma Skye and I'm director of the World Fellows program at Yale. My guest today is Jorge Soto, a techie, engineer, entrepreneur. Jorge, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So Jorge, how old were you when you first started inventing things and what were your first inventions? Um... When I started building things, I was probably about uh, less than 10 years old. I converted my mom's hair dryer into a lamp. Um, but the first time I built something that I believed could make, I could make a business out of, I was about 21 years old. Um, I developed, uh, I, was, I was an intern at a hospital in the north of Mexico, um, and I developed um, a system where patients could receive uh, text messages to adhere to their treatment, and also a small device that could detect um, very uh, abrupt movements so that we can detect if there's a patient that uh, fell or something and send an alert to the doctor. And that's while you were still a student? Yes, I was still a, I was still a student, and um, I think I just... What reading... were you studying? I was studying electrical engineering. I studied electrical engineering. And so after university, you founded and you were the chief technology officer of CityBox. What, what is, was CityBox and what did it do? I actually founded it while at school as well. Uh, I was very close to quitting school, but my mom convinced me not to. Um, and what we tried to do with CityBox was to work with institutions like governments or law enforcement institutions so they can communicate better with their citizens. Basically, the question we were trying to answer is how can we prepare these institutions for civic innovation? Um, we, we started seeing how the internet was having this uh, democratization effect. Citizens were communicating faster with each other and they were expecting something similar from the institutions. And we identified that the internet was not only opening up a new space for transparency and accountability, but also it was empowering citizens to participate, to collaborate, and also for governments or, or law enforcement institutions to understand and address real needs. So, so we wanted to tap into that opportunity and, um, and help bring our institutions to the 21st century. Wow. And after that, you went into the government. You were the Deputy Director General of Civic Innovation at the Coordination of National Digital Strategy of Mexico. So what did this work entail and how did you find actually working for the government? It was, uh, it was a fantastic experience. I was not expecting it. Uh, I received a, a call one day if I wanted to come back to Mexico to create and lead this office. Um, obviously, I have many doubts. I've never worked in the government and I never saw myself working in the government at the time. But there were a few things that were very compelling. One, the potential impact that I could have because the things that I would be doing would have national impact. Uh, two, it was directly in the president's office, so that meant a lot of political capital. And three, it was brand new, so we really could build a- anything from scratch. So that's that idea that I, when when I joined the government, I already had five or six years innovating outside the government. Um, so this was an opportunity for me to come now inside the government and not only complain about how anachronics government are but also trying to change it and trying to bring this, uh, this hacker mentality inside the government. And how many years did you work in government for? It was 
unfortunately, only over a year. Uh, I left. Uh, it was a very intense year, and I left not because I didn't like it. I left for other for other reasons. So, you're the founder of Miraculous, which is, if I got it right, it's a biotechnology company that seeks to democratize access to complex molecular tests for treatment and prevention of diseases. So can you explain what it does and why you set this up? Yeah, that, that's exactly why I left the government. Uh, when I went to school, when I went to, to electrical engineering, I always wanted to, uh, I was always interested in the convergence of engineering and healthcare. That's what I wanted to do. That's why I started an internship at the hospital, but obviously, uh, the, the tools that I developed took a different path and took me with them on a different path on civic innovation, which was fantastic. So I, I, I saw this opportunity to go back to healthcare and to try to build something uh, around it. Our main objective with Miraculous was uh, trying to, again, trying to, there's, a, there's this biotechnology revolution that is happening, but it's not happening at the same time to everybody. Um, so the objective is how can we democratize and accelerated and encourage collaboration um, within scientists and so that we can advance science and improve lives faster. That's the main objective. Always thinking, coming from a country like Mexico and my co-founders also come from emerging economies, um, we always, you can always read about these fantastic innovations that are happening in some places in Europe or the US or Japan. But for that to really come to the, to the masses, to really come for the general population, that requires generations if it, if it even get to them in terms of cost, in terms of access to skills, and access to equipment. So we, we, we came to the Silicon Valley to try to, to bring this Latin American perspective of problems uh, and, merge, and, and try to build a high-tech solution so that we can um, bring this biotech revolution in a, more, um, in, a, in a faster way to our countries. So throughout the time you've been a Yale World Fellow, we've been discussing the good society. How do you build the good society? And of course, it's a time when people are worried about democracy. They're worried about growing inequalities. Can you, Jorge Soto, create an algorithm for the good society, for life worthy of our humanity? <laughs> I think um, what, what we've seen these days with so many things that are happening, uh, uh, we've seen that and also through, throughout my career, we've seen that innovation can come from crisis, but I think also crisis can come from innovation. And that's also something we need to be very aware of. So uh, obviously it's the technology aspect is fascinating and it's completely possible to do that. Um, we were having this discussion where you, you, you clearly can say that the book 1984 is a dystopia, but the, 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 the book, A Brave New World, you cannot, different, you cannot really say if it's a dystopia or a utopia. The society works, everybody's happy, everybody has a purpose. But something doesn't feel right. So where algorithms can help us build a more uh, equal society uh, uh, to distribute wealth in a better way, to make better policies, definitely. I, I believe they can and I believe at some point they will. Whether that's what we want, that's a different discussion, I think. because. Um, if we are not being treated as equal citizens, um, when we are when when we are treated on the basis of, of what our personal data says that we should be what what role should we be part on the society, then 
we're, I, don't be, I believe we're not treating as equal citizens. And I think we're losing some part of our humanity uh, for that. So technology is super exciting. And I think technology will get there. But I think technology shouldn't get there without us having these ethical discussions, um, whether that's what we actually want. So let's have one of those ethical discussions. How in, in artificial intelligence do you build in humanity? Do you build in ethics? <laughs> I think um, at, at the end of the day, these algorithms reflect, um, or, and they all, uh, sometimes uh, enhance the, the, the same biases that we have as society. Um, there's, a, there's, for example, going back to healthcare, there's, there's been biases all over all the time in, in healthcare because clinical trials, sometimes they didn't involve, most of the time they didn't involve women or they don't involve people of other different races. That's not a problem of the algorithm. That's a, that's a structural problem of our society. And we're, trans, we're translating that same biases to our algorithms. So I think the best answer that I can give you is to not design technology just for the purpose of technology. Think about it more in the, in the context of our societal changes and how technology inter inter is intertwined with them. And not only let, not only let these very um, uh, sophisticated developments of technology to be led by private companies in Silicon Valley or other places. I think academia should be very involved. I think people from different sectors should collaborate on this. Because if you only ask, uh, and that's what exactly what has happened and what has given, taken us to this deep political crisis we're in, where we just pull the technology and say, we're not, we're not doing harm. But we have no idea what harm means because the harm comes much later after the development or the release of these algorithms. So I think we need to start thinking not only on the theory of change, but also the theory of harm and also involving more people, not only the technologies in the, in the discussions and the development and also the limits of, um, of our, of our um, implementations. Probably the most a worrisome thing for me is that we're we're at a stage where where technology is advancing extremely rapidly, and we're we're seeing convergence on many revolutions at the same time: healthcare, genetics, um, artificial intelligence, um, telecommunications, and we we are not having the ethical discussions as fast as the technology is advancing. The, uh, we've, we're already seeing fantastic developments on, for example, on the human brain, led by the private sector, led by Silicon Valley companies. And it's fantastic. Technology speaking, and as an engineer, it sounds fascinating. But do we really want a world where we need to have no neurological privacy? We need to start having those discussions where I don't want Facebook to plant an advertisement in my brain. Um, so. The problem is that it sounds science fiction, but we're heading towards that direction. We're just a few years away from that. And if we don't learn from the mistakes that has put, a, uh, that has put us in this political crisis we're in, the next generation of crisis is going to be massive because the technology, comparing the, the social media technologies to the technologies that, that come in the next the, uh, generation of revolution, it's, it's completely different, and the, and the impact will definitely define our humanity and what it means to be human. So, you know, your time at Yale is nearly over. What does the future hold for you? 
what are you planning to devote your energies to? What's your big dream? My big dream is I'm very passionate about technology. I still am. I still believe technology is, uh, brings this democratization effect. Um, I think it can help us redefine our institutions. It can help us redefine uh, our relationship with each other. And I hope we can do it in a, in a, in a much better way so we can, we can build a better society, a more equal society, a more fair society. So that's things where I want to continue being, being part of. How can we continue using technology for the, to maximize the, the potential positive impact of technology, but also now considering as well the potential negative impact of, of technology? Jorge, I wish you all the best. Good luck. The world needs you. And I look forward to discovering your latest and newest discoveries in the future. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here.